0: Some details of this case are a bit graphic and may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised.
1: It's a decades old case swirling with questions. Who killed Monica Rizzo?
0: And why Rizzo's case takes us back to the 90s. This is South Texas Crime Stories, episode two, The Boneyard. On May 5th, 1997, the 44-year-old mother of two left her work with no explanation. After a few days, Rizzo's boss was finally able to reach her at home. She said she wasn't feeling well, but would be back to work on Monday, May 19th. The day came
1: and went. No Rizzo. Fast forward now to June 5th. An anonymous mail caller told police Monica had been killed by her husband, Leonard, and her bones were in their backyard. San Antonio police rushed to the couple's home and spoke with Leonard and one of the couple's sons who no longer lived there. The son said he hadn't seen his mom in over a week. Meanwhile, Leonard said he had seen her when she got home from work. A few days later he woke up and she was gone.
0: Leonard never reported her missing and SAPD's search of the backyard only turned up animal bones. Exactly one month passed and the anonymous tipster called police again. He said Monica's bones were buried under a pile of tires in the backyard. This time, SAPD search yielded gruesome
1: results. A search warrant affidavit described human bones, hair, bodily fluids, all found in the backyard and barbecue pit. A group of archaeologists with the University of Texas excavated the backyard for eight days. They found more than 200 bone fragments chopped into pieces less than three inches long. Investigators thought the
0: bones had gone through a wood chipper or shredder and had been there for a week or two. At this point, they weren't sure if all of the bones were Monica's or if they belonged to others as well.
1: This find had police focusing their attention on husband Leonard. He said consistently that he had nothing to do with Monica's disappearance and how the bones got into his backyard was just as much a mystery to him. A search was done on the Rizzo home and it was reported that several sections of drywall had been bashed in. Monica's co-workers also spoke with police and told them they had been concerned about her because she started to lose weight and they noticed bruising on her body. The case at this point was open, but no arrests were made. Two years
0: later, Leonard was placed under arrest, but it had nothing to do with his late wife. Instead, his current girlfriend told police he threatened to, quote, kill her, chop her up, put her in a garbage bag, and bury her, unquote. SAPD showed up on his doorstep and he greeted them with a gun. This led to a standoff with police. Leonard was shot after pointing a gun at officers. Leonard survived and was later convicted of four criminal counts.
1: In the same year, 1999, the bone fragments were positively identified as Monica Rizzo and only Monica Rizzo. Lena Rizzo has always been the main suspect in this case, but he was never charged. Monica was buried beside her son, who had died in 1998 from cancer. It's been 25 years since anyone saw
0: Monica alive. To this day, her death is a mystery.
1: Okay, so we just heard a rehash of this case, Lee, and so many questions.
0: This case, honestly, (laughs) digging into it, blew my mind with the whole timeline of everything. What was found? This anonymous tipster, first of all.
1: Yeah, so we later found out his name was Robert Hakala, and I I hope I'm saying his name right. Um, He was a family friend. I I saw a lot of questions And a lot of the Reddit forums, like, who was this guy? Who was this tipster? How did he know? Why does he know so much? Exactly. How did he know so much? And apparently, so he was a family friend that would visit the home often. And he told police he was at the home and saw the dog playing with the human jawbone. So that just, like, ah. Like, I can't
0: imagine. Right. That image in your head to see a dog then running around with a human
1: jawbone. Yeah. in its mouth yeah that's unmistakable yeah it's unmistakable but then i had the question was he ever a person of interest because he seemed to know a lot right but police never named him as a personal a person of interest and always just had leonard rizzo as the main suspect in this case exactly and i think that was pretty significant that even though
0: robert kala knew so much yeah no police never had their sights on him i guess we can talk about that now he had that's who police were focused on this entire time
1: and were they right to just focus on him though that was like Mm -hmm. should there could there have been other suspects we just don't know about that they focused on that um this case just always seemed to pinpoint him which he from day one had always denied he had any part of but then you question him as well because your wife just disappears you don't report her missing You you know, and all these bones are just in your backyard and you don't know how they got there. Exactly. (laughs) It it just uh, it raises a lot of
0: questions. But I mean, as we we know, he was never charged with anything. And I think that's significant, too, because it talks. It really speaks to the fact that even if police are zoned in on someone, it doesn't mean you're going to get charged. And he never was. He never was. And it's just like they have to have enough evidence to present it. To the attorney and see if charges will be filed. If they don't have enough and the attorney doesn't think
1: this is a a prosecutable person, they're not going to move forward with it. And it's so hard because you feel like there is enough evidence. And especially two years later when he commits that crime with his now his latest girlfriend and he tells her, you know, quote, I will chop up your body and I will, you know, put it in garbage bags like that doesn't look good for you, Rizzo. It doesn't, doesn't look good look for you. Good. And then especially if what we know now, Monica's bones
0: chopped up, whether it be a wood chipper or a shredder. Yeah. It just kind of, it raises more questions from the outside. We're all like, this is so obvious. But it's just not that simple when it comes to police work. It's no. obvious to us. We can't just say, oh, well, this makes the most
1: sense. It's him. You can't say that. Right. <laughs> we wish we could, but <laughs> we, we can't. Yeah. So I want to go back to that that excavation. Um, we had some quotes from Dr. Robert Hard, who was a part of that team of archaeologists from the University of Texas. And this was a like several days long excavation because the bones were so small. But he said, We literally crawled across this area using our trowels and moving the roots and moving the grass blades and looking down beneath the grass. And every time we found a bone fragment or something the police department considered might be evidence, we put an orange pin. Flag out. Before they were done, the yard was dotted with dozens of orange flags. I remember seeing old footage of this. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of the archive video from KSAT from when the support occurred, but it literally is a yard full of these little orange flags that signified something they had found. As we know, over
0: 200 bone fragments, most of which were less than three inches long, that's a lot to find in a backyard in the barbecue pit. That's a lot to uncover. And I don't know if you want to read this next quote by, by Dr. Hard, but it was significant what they found and the, the condition of the bones that they
1: found. Yeah, he said, we, when you find bone in an own archaeology site, the bone is very dry. This bone still had a greasy feel to it, so we knew it had not been there very long but at the same time, it had been there more than a week or a couple of weeks. There was no soft tissue still attached to it. "End quote."
0: I got chills when you read that. By the way, it's just—it's just so gruesome to just have that in your backyard.
1: Yeah, it's—it's—it's it's, it's crazy to me, and—and and I know Rizzo, Leonard Rizzo, has always said nothing as far as he, you know, that he was a part of this crime. He's kept, you know, tight-lipped about anything. But still, again, how do you not know these all these bones in your backyard? And it wasn't like they were there for, you know, months or years. It said weeks, maybe a couple of weeks. Right. Because of the condition they were in. So they were pretty fresh.
0: Right. Well, also, I'm like, you found this old 1998 article from the Victoria Advocate. It was with the AP talking about, he might have claimed from the beginning he was innocent, but according to police... There was an interview where he tried to make a deal with them. I'm gonna read a, a quote here um, from one of the detectives on this case, and the quote says, He said if we can guarantee him ten years
1: probation without jail time, that he would tell us everything. Unquote. But Rizzo denied having had this, said this at all, saying detectives were the ones who suggested several possibilities of a light sentences if he would confess to killing his wife. But so there's a lot of hearsay. And to me, I was like, "Police don't just put out this quote without there being some actuality to it. Right. What would their motivation be to trying and, and trying to say that he
0: offered up? I'll do 10 years and tell you everything. It's <laughs> such a random amount. Right. Just 10 years. 10 years probation. I don't want to go to jail ever. I'll tell you everything that happened, though.
1: Like, police <laughs> aren't going to make a deal like that. Uh, also, like, what motivation would they have for lying about that? Yeah, or even to say, say they did. That's not a deal that you're going to get for killing your wife 10 years probation. Right. Like, that's just not going to happen. That's not feasible. <laughs> Another thing I found interesting in this article, he has questioned the DNA results and maintained his belief that his wife is alive.
0: Again, I have to go. <laughs> and, like, dramatic pa- pause for reason because you have to go back. What would be a scientist's motivation for lying about the fact 200 bone fragments came from Monica Rizzo? What motivation do they have
1: to lie and say this is not true? Now, there was a lot of back and forth with the Bones fan. At first, they thought it was from multiple people, not just Rizzo. That there were parts from um, possible up to four people, I believe, at the time. And then a couple... It would take years. Mm -hmm. It would take two years for them to positively identify those bones as Rizzo's and say they were all from her, right. not from multiple people like it was first considered um, in 1997. Um, so like you said, it goes back to you can't deny scientific evidence and, and it's something that we wish we could say, oh, let's go talk to the detective on this
0: case. Let's go talk to the people who originally started handling this case. You also have to, to put yourself back. It's been decades yeah. since this actually happened. So we emailed SAPD and asked, is there any way we can talk to the original detective on this case? Or since it is a cold case, is someone new handling this? And SAPD said the original detective who handled the case, his original notes are no longer available due to how long ago this case was. They also said that original detective is now retired, and the new detectives, they don't have anything new. So how do
1: you just lose case notes on this? I mean, I know it's a cold case, but that's important case file, I think. Is that a misstep by the SAPD for not having those original notes to pass to a new detective on the case? I feel like that's very important information. You can't just lose right and 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 they didn't
0: really elaborate any further saying oh they're lost well maybe they're not maybe they're not digitized at this point maybe they're somewhere in stacks of old case files and it's just not easily accessible because i imagine now we're all moving to the digital era and and we do a lot of our reporting on our computers things like that so maybe it's that kind of a situation but you would think there would be some kind of better organization for this because It's an open case. It's still an open case and she still has a living family
1: member, a living son at least, who doesn't have answers of what happened to his mother. She did have two sons. One passed away in 1998 from cancer. So he never really found out if those bones were his mother's or not because he passed away before that, um, that scientific evidence was revealed and it was concluded to be her. But she does still have one son that's alive. He no longer lives here in Texas though. You were able to find him on Facebook and we you did reach out to him.
0: I, I messaged him and just said, uh, sorry for this out of the blue message. Is there any chance you want to talk to us about uh your mother or what happened in this case because it's something we're we're digging back into on on our end and he respectfully declined. He said he didn't want to talk about his mom or this case, which I mean, I understand it's it's been so long. It's been over five years at this point, And I'm so sure he's
1: moved on. He's and he's trying to move on and it's not right. something he wants to rehash. One thing we couldn't really find out was whatever happened to Leonard.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I know after his two-year prison term for the 1999 I- incident, we had heard he had possibly moved out of the state to maybe New Mexico. But there's really no record if he has died since or if he's still alive. We just can't find any information on... Leonard Rizzo and his whereabouts now.
0: And it's very pro like probable he could still be alive at this point. I mean, they were in their forties back in nineteen ninety seven when this all happened. He'd be in his sixties, early seventies at this point. So it's very possible he's still alive. Now we did find uh, it's on a website called Find a Grave. We did find a picture of Monica Rizzo's grave. She's buried next to her son who had died before uh, who had died in nineteen ninety eight mm-hmm. from cancer. And Leonard Rizzo is on that same tombstone, her late hus or her husband. So Is it the husband or is it the son? Because the son was named Leonard as well. It there's one side for the son, and there's one side for Monica and Leonard Senior. So it was like a double yeah. for like a like a married couple. For a married couple with their son. So interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. And and on that, something else I found interesting looking at this gravestone. Monica Rizzo's date of death is listed as May 28th 1997 now we were trying to imagine how they came up with that date maybe it's because of the bone fragments they said these are a couple weeks old we can put her approximately at um, May 28th is when she died may not be an exact date but it's probably a close enough date right exactly and so I just thought that was interesting they had that listed as her date of death on there. And obviously, there's a lot of speculation online about this. I mean, we could speculate back and forth all day.
1: There's a lot of forums, like crime forums, right, exactly. that have their own conclusions and, and deep, dark Reddit threads. <laughs> yes. You go into a rabbit hole Seriously. when you start digging into this. And as true crime fans, we did that. And you start seeing other, you know, like, hey, why isn't the tipster included? As a possible suspect, he knew so much. and He knew where to find those bones and where they were at. Like, why is he not more of a suspect? Another thing on that deep, dark red thread was
0: there was a claim that one of her sons, didn't name who, saw her in the middle of the night, May 27th. That was after her husband had said, I haven't seen her. She's been gone. I cannot find that substantiated anywhere. It was only on this one little thread. So it could be completely false. But then it's also like, what if it's not? What if it's not? <laughs> what if someone did see her the day before she was declared dead? So it just, you can go into like a whole tizzy about all of uh, of the different rumors and everything and what family is saying. And, and
1: speaking of what family is saying, her father wrote a book. Yeah. And it's it's actually, it's a, I haven't read the book, but it's a very telling book. Um, her father was named Bill uh, William McKinney. And he released a book about his daughter's murder called The Raw Truth. It can be found on Amazon. We have a link to that on um, the article for this episode. And looking at the reviews of the book reviews, everybody is saying how well it was written and how unique of a book it was because this case was still open. But you can tell it was from a father grieving. Right.
0: there was, And I read in his description of what his book was, something that stood out to me was, intimate family details and you have to put yourself in that place of a
1: family he knew them better than anybody exactly mind you maybe not as well as the sons because he wasn't inside the home this was still his daughter and son-in-law right. and i i believe he always felt that leonard was the one who killed his daughter exactly and, and that's that's got to be
0: so hard as a father because, you know, like the the stereotypical dad role is like wanting to protect your children. No matter how old your children are in yeah. their 40s up above, they you want to be able to protect them. And so that's got to be a hard book for him to have written and to try and express that grief and what he's feeling in that moment. Um, so you, you've got to feel for the guy. You've got to feel for the living son that we reached out to. Uh, it's just, it's got to be... Hard not having those answers and that's something we take into account when we're reporting these kinds of stories Is you don't want to push too far at asking for response from the family or from detectives. You've got to have that le- level of Sincerity and some tact when approaching this as a journalist too And Another thing I wanted to point out with this this case that we mentioned in the original part of this podcast There were signs of abuse noticed by some of monica's co-workers um, They mentioned she had lost weight and they saw bruises on her body Uh, I just want to throw this out there. There is a national domestic violence hotline. That number is 800-799-7233. If you're not in a place you can talk on the phone, you can text START to 88788. That resource is available if you are a victim or if you see signs of abuse on someone just throwing that out there it's a very helpful resource there's also an online um, website www.thehotline.org just a resource for people to have something at their disposal if they notice something like this because we always talk about how important it is if you see something say
1: something especially here in in bear county who has a very high rate of domestic violence cases i know in the court systems i know courtney friedman and myself have done numerous stories on domestic violence um, in Bear County and what's being done to help. And there is numerous other resources as well here, just in Bear County that we have listed on our website as well. Um, for any of those who, anybody who needs those, those numbers, they are there and there are places that can help you if you need it. Right. There, there's options that you can, you can do something. Um, but
0: I think this was a, a good recap of Monica Rizzo's case. I want to thank everyone for joining us and make sure to listen in next Tuesday for another episode of South Texas Crime Stories.